Abraham is introduced to us. But in most adventure stories, what happens? You have your hero. And it's through the hero, through his ingenuity, his courage, his steadfastness, his strength, that he is able to overcome every challenge. Mixed in with maybe a little bit of luck. And it would be natural for us to think today that Abraham or Abram is our hero. And that he is going to do something incredibly awesome to win the victory and obtain the blessings of the promised land. But the Bible does not present Abraham as the hero of this story. But if Abram is not the hero, who is? There is only one hero, and it is Yahweh. Yahweh is the hero to the story. He is the one who made promises to Abraham. And over and over again, as we will see not all of it today, because his life goes through ten chapters in Genesis, but we will begin to see the beginning of this, that over and over again, it is Yahweh who swoops in and performs some awesome work that ensures that the promises will be continued and fulfilled. So therefore, our confidence that we will enjoy the blessings does not rest in our own faithfulness, but rather in God's faithfulness. In chapter 12, as we read through this chapter, we are going to see that there are going to be four obstacles that will stand in the way of Abram receiving the blessings that God has promised. The first obstacle is going to be ungodly enemies. That's the Canaanites. The second obstacle is going to be a fallen creation. You're going to see a famine in the promised land. The third obstacle is going to be Sarai's barrenness. And the fourth obstacle, the one we'll probably camp out on the most, is Abraham's faithlessness. Will these obstacles be overcome? Can they be overcome? How will they be overcome? Yes, they can. Your God overcomes them all. And he will do it based on his sovereign grace. And he will do it because he is faithful to his promises. So let's read the text for us today. And then we will dig in and follow it. It's kind of a narrative, so we're going to be able to walk through the passage and see um, uh, it unfold before us. Beginning in chapter 11, verse 31, Terah, it's Abraham's father, took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, 
Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham went. Or Abram went. I'm going to get that messed up all the time. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, and Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent. With Bethel on the west and I on the east, and there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord, and Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to journey, sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman, beautiful in appearance. She was 65 years old at the time, just to let you know. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house, and for her sake he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. May God bless the reading of his holy word. <clears throat> now it is easy, sometimes when you read scripture, to embrace the idea that faith is easy. And that it was quick, and it was immediate, and it was all-encompassing. Something like this. God shows up to Abram at the office. And he gives him the call to leave everything to go to a new land. And Abram just says, Great, let me go home. He gets home to Sarai. He says, honey, pack the bags. We're leaving. Sarai says, sure, where are we going? I'm not sure yet, but God will show us. Which God? Our moon God? No, it's a new God I don't know anything about, but he's going to come and he's going to tell us where we're going to go. And she says, oh, sure, that sounds like a great adventure. <laughs> and when you start thinking about faith this way, you begin to make it wonderful, but you also make it 
very much not like what you and I deal with, right? We can do this with the faith of the apostles. Jesus just showed up one day to them and said, hey, come follow me. And they'd never met him before. That's not the way it happened. When you think of the beginnings of faith, it gets really messy in Abraham's life. Where is Abram when God calls him? Now here's this map over here. I don't know if you guys see this, but you don't need to be able to read it, obviously. But Ur is right down here, way down here. And then Haran is up here, and then Canaan is here. So you got to think kind of a triangle like this, okay? And this is a big desert, so people didn't go through the desert very often. So if you're going to come here, God leads them up this way and then back down this way, okay? In, in verse 4, it says that Abram departed from Haran. You get the idea that he's already at the top of that, and he's just coming down. And that all, God just shows up in Haran, and he says, okay, I'm leaving. But the reality is, is that God showed up to Abram while he was still in Ur. Okay, all the way down there. We learn that from Genesis eleven twenty eight, and we learn it from Acts uh, seven four, and even in Genesis fifteen seven, God says that He brought him out of Ur. So we know He started His call in Ur, and the call was to leave everything, leave your family, leave your land, leave everything. But who does Abram take up to Haran? In fact, it almost makes it sound like. Terah went on a vacation, and Abram just came along with him. And when they get to Haran, they stay there for years. And he only leaves Haran after his dad dies. Now just think about that for a moment. Hey, get up, let's go, let's leave everything. Well, what about dad? What about this? You can start thinking of your own tensions in your own life. On the one hand, God has called you to leave everything to follow him. You still got to go to work on Monday morning. Still got to raise your family. Still got to go to school. Still got things you got to do in this life, right? And so you're caught in this tension between the next world where God is calling you and the world that you're presently in. And I think it's encouraging that the Bible actually expects that in our lives. That it's a challenge that we all deal with. What does it mean for me to leave everything and yet still exist in the world in which I live? Abram is just like you, caught between two worlds. And I hope we can gain some encouragement from Abram. Now, it's probably upon Terah's death, he might just say, okay, now I can go. Because he probably on the journey started it and Terah was able to take the journey. But then at some point, Terah was probably unable to continue the journey. And rather than leave Terah, he stays there with him until he dies. But then upon Terah's death, maybe because God shows up again, I don't know. But Abraham then continues his journey down to Canaan. Notice in verse 5, that as he does this, he has 
all kinds of possessions. So sometimes we think, oh, we left everything. We don't have anything. We're this destitute person following the Lord. St. Francis of Assisi kind of did that. No. Abraham is leaving all, but yet he still has many possessions, even servants that are with him. He's a man of means. Now, to be fair, taking this journey means that he could lose them all. He could be robbed along the way. Lots of things that he is giving up to head down to Abram. And so his faith at this moment is strong. There's no doubt about it that Abram's faith is strong. He's leaving what he knows, the security of his his land, and he's moving down to Canaan. Look at verse 6. They passed, when he came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. Now you just need to understand that Shechem is centrally located in the land of Israel, and it is, is going to become the place of which God says, I will give you this land. In fact, when God brings the Israelites up out of Egypt under Moses, and they're coming into the promised land to conquer Jericho, Moses actually preaches to them from this very place. So God, in all of his uh, faithfulness, brings his people right back to Shechem as they enter the promised land. It's really amazing to see that. Lots of other things happened at Shechem, but that's a brief. But notice what happens when they get to the land. It's almost an afterthought. If you were just reading the text, you'd have just read right past it. And he says, at that time, Canaanites were in the land. And my thinking is like, Did God tell the Canaanites that Abram was coming? Do you think the Canaanites are going to be happy about Abram coming in to take over their land? Probably not. And I could see Abram looking at the Canaanites. Think about the spies under Moses' day. And they go into the land, oh, the Canaanites. Abraham comes in and he's like, "Uh, yeah, this this is my land, I guess. And notice he avoids many of the big cities and he actually travels through the hill country as he goes. He's like a country boy in a big city going, oh my goodness, what is happening here? Did you really promise this land to me? Abram builds an altar in response to God showing up and saying to him in verse 7, To your offspring I will give this land. Now that's very encouraging because God's reiterating the promise. But I think there's an element of discouragement here because when God first showed up to Abram, he told him he was going to give him a land. I left everything, God. I went all the way from Ur over to here. You mean you're not going to give it to me? You're only going to give it to my children? But Abram continues to worship God. He builds an altar. He worships God. His faith is is being maintained. It's strong. But I think it's here at verse 8 that his faith begins to unravel. He moves from the hill country on the east to Bethel. Now what you need to understand about Bethel is Bethel represents the place where you depart from the land. Later on, when Jacob is running from Esau, he is, goes to Bethel. And, he, and God says to him, yeah, you're going all the way over here out of, the, out of the promised land for a season, but I'm going to bring you back to this very spot. And so I think the same is true of Abram, that Bethel is the place where God says, I will bring you 
back. So he goes to Bethel. He builds an altar there, calls upon the name of the Lord. Good. Everything's still kind of going okay. But then in verse 9, Abram journeys on, going toward the Negeb. And the Negeb is at the bottom of the promised land. So he's come down, he's basically walked all the way through the promised land, and he's down here at the, the bottom of it in Negeb. And what is, he, what is his conclusion of to the land? There's famine. Famine in the land. God, I mean, I was doing better in Ur. Wasn't no famine there. You bringing me all the way here so I can look at this not-so-good land? You sold me an oceanfront property in Kansas. And it's a severe famine. And Abram is just struggling to live. He thinks this deal is getting worse all the time. Did I really leave Ur for this? And I would ask you today, have you ever felt that way about your Christianity? You hear the promise of the gospel? Come, repent, and believe. Your sins will be forgiven. Your life will be better. Several years pass. Feels like your life got harder. It's not any better at the moment. Things seem to be getting worse. Where are you, God? What happened to your promises? And you begin to think really one of two ways. You begin to think, maybe I'm at fault. Maybe I have not done everything right. Maybe I have ruined God's promises. Maybe my faith hasn't been strong enough. Or you go the other way and you start thinking, God tricked me. Or maybe it was, he's not there at all. Maybe he's not really the true God. These are normal reactions. But they are very unfaithful reactions. And we can hardly call them good. Now, what sort of things do you do when your faith in God's promises are weakened? What do you do when you're, when you're not as, as like zealous and confident that God will give you blessing? Well, we resort to taking care of ourselves. We do what we must do to survive. And that is precisely what Abram does. He leaves the promised land. And he sojourns to Egypt. Now, the fact that he's sojourning means that he doesn't really give up the promises entirely because he thinks, I'm going to come back here when the famine's gone. But as a reader, you're going, you're you're to be thinking, no, Abram, don't leave the land. Stay in it. God will be true. Trust him. Cry out to God. None of that occurs because his faith is weak. And what's interesting, at this moment, you would hope maybe God would swoop in now and get him. He doesn't. No mention of God at this point. And you have to understand that the promise of God is very much connected to the land. So to leave the land is like a crash dive in your faith. So what does he do? After they, get, they decide to go to Egypt, he's thinking, oh, I don't trust the Egyptians. They're evil. They know you're beautiful. They're going to kill me because... They want you. So he kind of tells a half-truth. You're my sister. He is, she is kind of his half-sister. 
What is ironic about this is that in his craftiness, he has created a plan by which he is going to be rescued by Sarai. And in the truth, what God says in his word is that you, I will protect you and everyone connected to you. So he rejects God's plan and then trusts in a completely other plan to be saved. Okay? And here's the question. You're going, no, 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 this is terrible. And you're going, does this mean the end of the promises? Abram's faith is weak. He's failing God. And it gets worse. He gives up his very wife to a pagan king. In our day and age, can you even imagine that? That's like, that is a moral failure down to the lowest low. Right? I mean, this is terrible. This is your supposed hero. Now, everything plays out kind of as Abraham predicted. He at least understands the situation pretty well, does he not? But you're sitting there going, oh my goodness, Sarai can be lost. And if Sarai's lost, the promises are lost. And you might expect Abram to be like saying, I can't believe I did that. And crying out to God. You might maybe expect him as your hero to be sacrificially, I'll die for my, for my uh, wife. None of that. Who swoops in to save the day? Who is your hero? God is. Very good answer. Yes. God is the hero. Out of the blue, he swoops in and he brings plagues upon Egypt. God continues to fulfill his covenant promises even in the weakness of Abram's faith. Now, he's not going to leave Abram there. He's not going to let him remain weak in faith, and he will bring Abram to repentance. In fact, he actually, I think, in the story, brings him to an implied call to repentance through the, the uh, uh, anger of Pharaoh. Can you imagine, like, we're supposed to be as Christians light on the hill, right? We're supposed to show other people how great our God is. And in this situation, the pagan king is confronting the moral failure of the uh, covenant head, the one who received the promises. Hmm. And then you think, oh, yeah, God's going to make it really tough on Abram right now because of his failure. He's going to get at him. Oh, he does it by giving him more wealth. And in fact, he gives him camels. And for a long time, people thought that camels, this was a mistake in the text because they hadn't domesticated camels at this time. But now we know that, yes, they did. But it was the the only people who owned camels were like the wealthiest of the wealthy. So it would kind of be like saying that he had his own private jet. Right? He's getting tons. You're like, well, that's a way to straighten Abraham out. Abraham has fallen into the mud pet of his own unfaithfulness, and he's come out smelling like a rose. Now let's step back and look at the larger picture of this. Is it not true that Abraham possessed faith at the beginning of the story? Absolutely. He left his own land to go. Is it not also true that when he gets to the land that God could have... He could have had him enter a land full of fruitfulness. 
Could have. Is it not true that God could have, uh, just before Abram arrives, rid the land of the Canaanites? Could have. Now, what keeps God from doing that? You see, God does not simply want to give us the promised blessings. He wants to give us a blessing that is even greater than all the other blessings. Do you know what that is? He wants Abram to know him. It is through unfulfilled promises, it is through testing, it is through going through famine in the land that God reveals himself to Abram. And the same is true for us today. And it also is very humbling, is it not? And I hope that as you look at this, that you are driven to Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is the only one that endured every test and always was faithful. In the wilderness, 40 days in the wilderness, in the Garden of Gethsemane, going to the cross, it doesn't matter. He was faithful at every moment. The only son that was faithful at every moment. You see, it's this. I know you're going to find a verse that's going to tell me that our faith saves us. But it's not our faith that saves us. Or at least it is not the consistent and unhindered faith at every moment that is strong and perfect that saves us. When you have failed in your faith, remember Abram. Repent of your lack of faith. Repent that you have begun to doubt the promises of God to you. Yeah, make it your commitment to strive for greater faithfulness. I am, the longer I live and the more I know of God's faithfulness, I feel more shame over the sin of not trusting God than almost any other sin. It's the one that leads to the other sins. As Christians, we are to live by faith. And you can't live by faith unless you see God as the hero of the story. It's easy to to distort what it means to live by faith. You can begin to believe that the promises are actually dependent upon the strength of your faith. Kind of a faith in your own faith. Wrong. You can begin to distort faith into thinking, thinking that, that, that living by faith makes life easy, like walking on sunshine. No. A life of faith is a life of struggle in this world. It is a life of struggle against your own sin, is a struggle against the flesh, is a struggle against the world. It is difficult to walk with God. Faith is not easy believism. But it is also easy, and this is probably more so in the reform camps, 
to distort the faith into thinking that, yes, I trusted in Jesus at the beginning of my faith, but now, now that I'm trying to strive for holiness, that, that this is dependent upon my obedience, my faithfulness, my ability to do this in my own strength. And it is a pitfall. Paul says in Galatians 3, Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Learn from Abram. We're just starting the journey. We've got a lot more to learn from him. But learn from him. He failed. At his first test, he failed. But God continued to be faithful. Abram will be renewed in his faith. He will repent of his former folly. He will actually get to the place where he is willing to trust God even with his own son Isaac. But Abram is not the hero. Yahweh is the hero. I wonder if we think of God that way. Or if we think of ourselves. We look at ourselves all the time. And we see our failures, we feel them, and then we think that somehow we've ruined it all. God is in the business of giving life to failures. It's what he does. Be thankful for that and renew your faith in him. Amen.